Everyone who thirsts, pay attention. That's how Isaiah begins this decree in Isaiah 55. Hey, everyone who is thirsty. The ESV, the first word is come. It's actually just an interjection. He's just calling. Hey, out there. God has something to offer you. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's an interesting beginning now. After Isaiah 53 has described the servant who has come and has sacrificed himself for sins, Isaiah 54 has described the covenant of peace that has been enacted because of that suffering servant. Isaiah 55 now opens with an invitation. He cries out to the people. And he says, everyone who thirsts, I want you to come. Everyone who thirsts, I want you to pay attention. Which I think gives us just really an interesting starting point to recognize that number one, everybody does thirst. That there's an invitation being made. And the first thing that Isaiah is doing as the voice of God is he is calling and saying, I want you to recognize that you have a thirst. I want you to recognize that you have a yearning. You are seeking something. And that has always been the case. Everybody has always been trying to put words upon this Seemingly nebulous thing that exists within each of us. It's either done through philosophy and asking, well, you know, what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? I'm trying to get my hands on this void. And for others, you're trying to find satisfaction. You recognize that there must be something more to life than just being here today and gone tomorrow. That there's got to be something more that is happening. Something more that I'm supposed to be doing. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? There is a thirst that God has placed within every person. And what God is doing is trying to awaken that sense and recognize that God has placed within us a desire, a yearning, a need, a void that only He can fill. And He makes an offer as He cries out to the people and He says, Now everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Now, unfortunately, what happens is that we recognize the emptiness and we try to plug it with all the false waters of the world. We go seeking after all these different avenues and different ideas and concepts and pursuits and behaviors as if this is going to be the satisfying act. But I find it so interesting what God has done in giving us this thirst is that it really is a grace that God has given us. It's because He is attempting for us to recognize that we must turn our eyes to God. That God is the all-satisfying God. And that He will give you what you are yearning for. Only He can satisfy. 
But with that thirst, there is a danger. Inherent in the grace of God to put this thirst within us so that we would seek after him. The danger is what we have fallen into. That we try to find it with all kinds of things that are not of God. That we begin to try to seek after things and fill that void and try to find that joy and satisfaction in all kinds of sinful behaviors and sinful thinking. And there is a desire within us for something lasting. There is a desire within us for something deeper. There's a desire for something satisfying. And here is the writers telling us, God has what you need. That if you would come to God, that he would give you what would be satisfying. Notice the imagery there in verse one. Come buy wine and milk. I will give you what you're looking for. I will give you the rich blessings you seek. I will give you what you need. And I'm not going to talk about these physical things. I'm talking about what you really need. What is yearning down deep within you. What your soul is crying out for. God says, come, come to the waters. And then you notice he says, I want you to come and buy it. But did you see the price? He says it's without price. Come and buy. I'm going to give to you, but you must come to me to be able to receive it. You do not have to have a million dollars. You do not have to be wealthy. The offer is for all people. If you will just come, come and find the riches of God. Come and find the satisfying waters that I'm trying to give you. And if you notice verse 2, he then tries to really drive that idea when he says, and he asks, Why do you spend your money for that which does, which is not bread? And you labor for that which does not satisfy. He takes a step back and says, now I want you to come. Everyone who thirsts, you have this thirst within you. And you're seeking it. And he says, now, I want you to stop for a minute. Stop the nonsense of what you are doing in your life, trying to fill that void and fill that thirst with all of these false things. Because it's not going to satisfy. Why do you seek after bread that is not satisfying? Why are you going after waters that will not give you what you want and give you what you need? And the short answer of that is because Satan lies to us and tells us that the things that we need, the things that will give us satisfaction, are going to be found in all of these other arenas in this world. As Satan tells us, well, you will find your satisfaction, you will find your delight, you will find your joy in in relationships with people. You'll find it in marriage, you'll find it in sex, you'll find it in money, you'll find it in your job or occupation, you'll find it in your career, you'll find it in your possessions, you will find it in power, you will find it in your children, you will find it in other people. Just keep looking and keep trying and you will be satisfied. Keep going. 
And Isaiah says, will you stop already? Those things don't satisfy. The thirst that you have will not be satisfied by one single thing that you will find on this earth. Stop. Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? It's very tempting to do a whole sermon with that sentence right there. It's just, that's, that's a profound thought. Why do we keep trying this? Why do we keep pursuing all of these things as if this is going to be the satisfying joy of life? And we think it's going to be through, well, if I just had a better marriage, a better job, if I had more money, a better house, I lived in a better place, if I had more kids, if I had no kids, if I married somebody else, if I never got married, if I got a divorce, if I just get remarried, we just keep going and going and going and going. And the writer says, stop it. Stop. Why do you labor? Why are you wearying yourself? After that which isn't bread at all. The things that do not satisfy. Things that all of us have experienced, experimented and tried and recognized. Yes, there's some temporary comfort. But is not satisfying. Because we go do whatever that thing is and then guess what? The next day comes and you go, now what? Well, I got that promotion, now what? Well, I had that affair, now what? Yep, I engaged in that sexual morality, now what? Yep, I got that power, now what? Now I'm that level of success, now what? You hit the mark and now it's gone again. And Isaiah says, pay attention. In fact, notice it in verse 2. Listen diligent to me. I love what he does. Stop wearying yourself. Stop going for all those things that you think are going to be satisfied. And here's what he says to do. Listen. Notice how many times he says it. Verse 2. Listen to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Three times. Stop and listen. Listen. Listen to what God has to say. We don't want to do that. I find this statement very important and very profound because I don't want to do that. I want to ignore the message of God and I want to just keep going in the rat race. I'm going to find it. I'm going to get there. I'm going to achieve it. I'm going to have these things. I'm just going to keep going and going and going. And he said, will you stop and listen? I go, no, I don't want to listen. I've got my life figured out. I know what I'm doing. I'm on it. I'm good. You know, I'm here Sunday. I got my God here. He's a good little idol for me. Makes me happy on my Sundays. And I go do all the things that I want to do. Stop it. (coughs) Listen. Incline your ear. In fact, notice how he puts it there in verse 2 when he says, If you will listen diligently, diligently to me, notice he says, And eat what is good. If you'll stop with all of the other things that we are pursuing, 
listen to what God is saying. You'll eat what is good. And then if you, you may not mark your Bible, but if you're a Bible marker, would you like square, underline, circle, and draw arrows to the word delight? And delight yourself in rich food. Stop going for what does not satisfy. Listen, and you'll delight in what I'm offering you. You'll have the satisfaction. You'll have that joy. You will have what you're seeking after, that thirst that is within you. It will now come to the waters that God is offering. But we have to listen. Think about historically where we've come from in Isaiah. Remember how this all began when Isaiah is commissioned and he's told to go and preach to the people. And the problem is, he says, seeing they're not going to perceive, hearing they're not going to hear. What's the problem with them? They won't listen. Isaiah, you go preach to them, but you know what the problem is? They're not going to hear a word that God has to say. And this is where we stand. We go and we go and we go. And we're not listening to God saying, stop all of that. Stop pursuing all of that. And I don't care if it is immoral or if it is moral. We're talking about everything. Stop the pursuing of those things. If it's sinful or not, you're not going to find satisfaction there. Say, well, family's good and all that. It is. It's a blessing of God, but that's not all satisfying. Say, well, job is good. I'm supposed to do that. Yep, God's commanded you to work, but that's not all satisfying. Don't take the blessings of God and make them supreme. Don't make them the ultimate. That's not the ultimate. God is the ultimate. And He's calling for the people. Here, listen to what I'm trying to give you. Listen, and I will give you what you can delight in. And Satan has done an amazing job blinding us from seeing the riches and the delights that God has to offer. That Satan tells us that our delight is going to be in these temporary physical comforts and joys. Blinding us from the seeing the joy that God is trying to offer us. Listen to me diligently and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Notice verse 3, incline your ear and guess where you're going to be. Incline your ear and come to me. We get the opportunity to stop this worldly nonsense and come to the living God. Set these things aside. Notice verse 3 here. That your soul may live. Here's God saying, I'm trying to give you life. I'm trying to give you what matters most. And you refuse to hear it and just put yourself into the things of this world. Ignoring the waters, ignoring the life, ignoring the satisfying joys that God wants to offer. And so we have to stop and listen to what God is trying to speak that he has. The rest of verse 3 is even more staggering of what he's offering. He says, and I will make with you, you there, we need to go southern, that's a plural you right there, so that's a you all. I'm going to make with all of you 
When I make with all of you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. He recalls the covenant that was made with David. Remember the, that Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. That it would be his descendant that will sit on the throne eternally and reign. And he says, guess what? You get to belong to that. If you will stop and listen, you're going to be in my kingdom. Enjoy citizenship in the kingdom of God. To be his child. To call upon him as father. To enjoy all the rich blessings that come from the Lord being on the throne and belonging to that kingdom. I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Chapter 54 described the aspects of this everlasting glorious covenant. This covenant of peace with the people being able to belong to God. A beautiful picture of God's people being taught and drawn to Him, belonging to Him. What a joy that is being given here. And notice He gives them a reminder of that covenant He made with David. Verse 4, Behold, I made Him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the people. So, remember what I did for David? Do you remember what I did with David? David is a shepherd that his father doesn't think is royal worthy, right? Samuel's going around, all right, one of your sons is the next king. And Jesse says, all right, here's all my boys. And Samuel goes, well, it's not any of them. You got any more boys around here? And Jesse's like, well, yeah, he's kind of back there making a mess of things with the sheep. I guess I'll call him. And God goes, yeah, you're the one. I will make you the witness, leader, and commander of the peoples. God makes a covenant with him and says, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to make a covenant with you through one of your sons. He will sit on the throne forever. He is going to rule in righteousness. I will use you and have an everlasting throne. And now in verse 5, that call is given specifically to that one who would sit on that throne. Verse 5, behold you. Now interesting, this you is singular. He's not talking to us. He's talking to that servant that we saw in chapter 53. This one who is the descendant of David. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. A nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, He has glorified you. I'm going to set up my servant. He will sit on that throne. And peoples are going to run to you. Nations are going to flow to you. And here is a this opportunity of God calling out you can belong to this this is what is all satisfying is being a citizen of God's kingdom that I'm going to bring my servant he will sit on the throne he will fulfill the promises of God that were given to David and I'm going to call peoples to it nations to it that you can enjoy this I'm trying to give you lasting satisfying joy And now he's going to tell us how to do that. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. 
that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is amazing. First thing he says, here's the invitation. Everyone who thirsts, will you come to the waters? Come and find what is a delight. Come and find what is all satisfied. Number one, verse six, seek the Lord. Accept the invitation. Seek the Lord. It is time to dedicate ourselves to following the Lord, to seek him. And notice the picture is given there in verse six. Call upon him while he is near. And I read that and I think of every commercial that we have today. This is a limited time opportunity, right? Everything ends that way. Limited time opportunity. Call now before it's too. Well, that's what this is saying. This is a limited time opportunity. Seek the Lord. Now, why is that a limited time opportunity? Are you suggesting that God will have me back? I'm not saying that. You know what I am saying? What we see all throughout the scriptures is there comes a time where you won't want to seek the Lord. If you do not seek the Lord now, you will grow more callous and more uncaring to the offer of the waters that are being offered here. You will no longer care about them. You'll continue to say no and no and no until finally it will be too late. Seek the Lord. Dedicate yourself to him. Commit yourself to him. This is not a, oh yeah, I should seek the Lord. Okay, yep, seek the Lord. Here I am. All right, yep. All right, where's God? All right. Dedication, devotion, diligence, commitment. Seek the Lord. Why wouldn't we want to seek the Lord when he says, I have something to offer you. I'm offering you satisfaction. I'm offering you the waters. I'm offering you life. I'm offering you the covenant. I'm offering you to be in the kingdom of David, in the kingdom of his son. I'm offering you citizenship in that heavenly realm. I'm offering you everything that your soul is crying out for. Seek the Lord. Number two, verse seven. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. What the author now is calling for us to do and what God is crying out to do us to do is to recognize something. This is hard for us to recognize. I contend that you will have a knee jerk reaction to this sentence. Our ways, our thinking... Our decision-making and our thought processes are completely corrupted. This is what he's saying. Your ways, your thoughts, your way of thinking, your decision-making, those things are not God's ways and God's thoughts. Your ways are wrong. Your thoughts are wrong. Now we live in a time right now. Oh yeah, whatever you think is best. That's a bad idea. Such a bad idea. Because he tells us here, the wicked have to forsake their thoughts. Who have we read about in the whole book of Isaiah? This is the wicked. Us. 
We're the wicked. We're the unrighteous. We're the ones that are lost. We're the ones that need a Savior. We're the ones that need the servant to come to die for our sins. And he says, now here's what it means to come to the Lord. Here's what it means to receive this invitation. Here's what it means to come to the waters. Forsake your way of thinking. This means we need a decisive break from our past beliefs, our assumptions, our priorities, our plans, our culture, our values, and anything else you can think of. I give you the etc. I don't know. And everything that is belonging to our way of thinking is supposed to be shut down. I don't care what your parents taught you. I don't care what environment you were raised in. I don't care what those things that what matters is the word of God. And we make a decisive break from what the world tells us is right and what those values are and how we're supposed to think and act and behave. He says we're supposed to forsake those things, forsake those thoughts, forsake that path. And I want to contend with you as well and consider that this really is the concept of what God's call is all about. Is that he calls for people to come to him. But he says you can't stay like that. You come on in as you are, but you're not going to stay that way. There's a transformation that's to happen. There's a call for us to come to the Lord and reject Our prior way of thinking and our prior behavior. So often we come to the Lord as if, well, you know, it's just some minor modification. We talk that way about our neighbors. You know, they'd be really great to come to Christ. They're really a good person. They seem to kind of stop doing a little this. No. Coming to the Lord and finding the all-satisfying God means a wholesale rejection of all of our ways and all of our thoughts. Completely give it up. Completely throw it away. This is where life will be found. Because our way of thinking goes after the things of this world. Continues to pursue after these physical things as if they will be all satisfied. And I submit to you, we talk about the word repentance. That's what repentance is. It is the 180 of the mind, full rejection of our prior ways, our prior paths, our prior way of thinking. We are saying no to all that we might have been ingrained with and taught for however long we've had. And here's the amazing thing about what God describes here in this. Look at what he says he will do in verse 7. He says that the unrighteous man needs to reject his thoughts. The wicked man forsake his ways. Let him return to the Lord. That he may have compassion on him. If the wicked, that's us. If we will forsake our ways. Reject our way of thinking, this earthly, worldly thinking that we've grown up in. We've got the culture around us. It's pounded upon us. If we will reject it, do you see what he says? I will give you. I will have compassion on him. Let us return to our God. 
for he will abundantly pardon. He will multiply pardon to us. Though we are wicked, though we have gone from the path, as Isaiah 53 verse 6 described, that we were the sheep that went our own way, we went our own path, he describes that God will abundantly pardon, God will forgive, God will have compassion upon us, even though we are sinful. But our ways have to be forfeited. Our thoughts have to be destroyed and battled against and completely rejected. And we might ask the question, why? 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 Why Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to completely change my way of thinking? Why do I have to change everything that I'm supposed to do? Why do I have to change all of my behaviors and all of my ways? That's where verse 8 becomes so powerful. Why must we forsake his ways? Because God's thoughts and his ways are not the same as ours. Don't read this as God is saying, well, my ways are up here. and You can't know my ways. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is my ways are better. My ways lead you to the waters. My ways lead you to life. My ways will lead you to that all satisfying joy and delight. Here's what I'm trying to give you. But if you stay in your mind and in your ways and in your thoughts, you will never get there. Why must we reject our ways? Because God's ways are far different than ours. It's a call for an exchange to go for his thinking and not for our thinking. And I think that is so important because one of the greatest things that makes God's thoughts different than our thoughts is verse 7. What would you do if somebody was constantly rebellious and evil and wicked against you? Well, I'd give him the what for, right? I'm going to show him. What does God do? Abundantly pardon. I am glad that God's ways are not our ways. Praise God that His thoughts and His ways are not the way I do things. It's the way I handle things. is completely different. And it's not good for you and it's not good for me. But for God, He says, here's how I handle things. So don't go your path. Don't go with your thinking. His ways are completely different. Verse 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You can't get to His way of thinking all by yourself. I submit to you, that's why we've got this big thing right here. Because you're not going to get there just kind of some meditation. Well, let me just think about what would God want me to do? You're not going to find it without having the word of God. His ways are way better than ours, way higher than ours, far supreme than the ways that we would go on our own. Our intuition, our way of thinking, how we were raised, not going to get you there. God's ways get you there. God's thoughts get you there. Forsake your ways because that is the only way to find what God is trying to give. Before we move from the next thought, I just have to ask one thing then. And I hope it'll stick with you for the week. What ways... Are your ways right now that are not God's ways? What things are we continuing 
to think and do that are not the thoughts and ways of God? What things are we holding close to our hearts that we refuse to let go because we find some kind of temporary joy, some kind of I don't know what it is that it is about us as humans that we think is so important that we're holding on to? What are we refusing to let go of in our lives? What are we unwilling to forsake? What are we still trying to be satisfied by that are false waters? To truly take an inventory and think, what am I trying to hold on to that is keeping me from coming to the true waters that satisfy, that would give us the true life that we need? And then the final few verses, so the final couple minutes we have. I find it interesting that God says, I'm going to tell you why you should receive this invitation, though I think he's already said quite enough about why we should. He's already just exploded upon us. This is the better way. This is life. This is satisfied. This is the delight of your life. This is all that you need. If you will come to me, if you will seek the Lord and reject your ways, you will find life. You will find satisfaction. You will have the compassion of God who will abundantly pardon you. But he says, let me tell you some more. Let me give you some more reasons why. Listen to verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish all which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. He uses an imagery and he compares the rain to the word of God. And he describes this in a really beautiful concept. He says, for when the rain and the snow come down to earth, it does what it's supposed to do, right? That's what he describes. It brings forth, it waters the earth, it brings forth, it sprouts, it gives seed to the sower, bread to the eater. It is reliable, it accomplishes The purposes of God. God's word is that way, is what he's tying that to in verse 11. You see, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. Just as you see the reliability of when it rains, it accomplishes the purpose. I've never seen it pour buckets of rain here and my grass just die anyway. No. When we got that hard downpour last week, my grass was like, yay, and it was just green and growing, and it's time to mow the lawn. I mean, you're here in the summer, and it rains every single afternoon. You have to mow your lawn once a week or even less. Because when it rains, it's accomplishing the purpose that God gave the rain. It grows. It does it. It's reliable. I've never looked at the rain and thought, well, I don't know if that's going to make my grass grow or not. Huh, maybe. Yeah, it's dependable. She says, this is what the word of God will be in your life. It will accomplish God's purpose. It is effective as the rain causes the plants to grow and sprout and flourish and give bread to the eater. He says, here's exactly what the word of God will do in your life. It will be effective. 
It will cause your growth. It will give you strength. It will give you all that you need so that you can be growing and becoming what God wants you to be. This is why we forsake our ways because it is God's word that is life. It is not our words. It is not our ways. It's not our thoughts. Here is the reliable, effective word of God. He says it will cause growth, it will give you life, it will give you strength, it will give you flourishing, it will do all that you need it to do. To put it another way, it's not going to leave you empty. We need to hear that. Isn't this the temptation of why we do not dig into the word of God as we ought to? Well, that's kind of boring. I don't want to read it tonight. I'm kind of tired. It's been a long day. It's been a long week. If you have no idea what I had to put up with this week, it just, you know, it's been really tough. And I just need to zone out to the TV or the newspaper or the Facebook or waste piles of other time. That is total emptiness. And then at the we get to the end and go, well, there was no time for the word of God. This will not return empty. If you give this what it needs, if you give it the time, if you give it your attention, if you give it your devotion, it will not be empty to your life. It will work. Now, it won't work if I came to Isaiah 55 and I come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, come everyone who has no money, come by me, come by me, wide knock around our eyes. Got it in. Shut the preacher up. That ain't going to work. Think about what God is teaching here. Slow down over those words. Think about what God is offering. It will not be empty to you. Can I say it another way? This will be one of the few things in life that will not be a waste of time. This will not waste your time. Life, growth, sustenance. It will give you satisfying joy. And the picture here that's given to us in Isaiah 55 is he's trying to give us this true life. Listen to verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Why should you receive this invitation? First picture, notice in verse 12, he says, you shall go out, you shall be led forth. There is this picture of freedom. You're going to be set free, which is what God is trying to do. He's setting you free from sin. If you'll turn away from these things that enslave you to these passions and lusts and desires of the world, he says, I'm setting you free. Be set free from the false ways of the world. Be set free from the curse of sin. Give yourself to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Seek the Lord. Forsake your ways. Forsake those paths. Forsake your way of thinking. And notice what you're going to have in verse 12. You shall go out and what? Underline that. You shall go out in joy. That's what you're seeking. 
You're trying to plug in all these worldly things into trying to find that happiness. You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And notice this transformation picture that is found here in verse 13. Instead of thorns shall come up these beautiful cypress trees. Instead of a briar shall come up the myrtle. Here is this imagery of transformed people, this amazing transformation that is going to happen. People who hear the message of a risen Savior who has died for sins, that they now belong to the covenant of peace and now can come to the waters and find life. They should have received everlasting punishment. But now there is life. Now there is hope. Now there is joy. If you will seek the Lord and you will forsake your ways and forsake your thoughts, here is this group of people turning away from their ways, turning away from their thoughts, adopting the ways of God and adopting the thoughts of God, doing as he says, turning away from that old mindset. He says, there's going to be a fruitfulness that occurs. It will be like rain falling down on the grass. So the word of God will be in your life. It will cause growth. It will cause transformation. We will go away from thorns and we will have cypress, cypress trees and it will make it that God's name is proclaimed everywhere. It will be an everlasting name. I love, I think it's net in a couple of translations say it shall be a monument for the name of the Lord. It's proper translation. Isaiah 56 and about verse 5 uses the same thing where it says a name and a monument. This now becomes a monument of what God has done. And this is the idea of what the Apostle Paul is talking about of putting these principalities and powers to shame in the church. What's happening Are we like something awesome? No, God has caused a transformation. God has taken wrecked, sinful, wicked people, shown them compassion, abundantly pardoned, and now they have forsaken their ways and forsaken their thoughts. An amazing transformation has occurred which testifies to the glory of God of what He is able to do through His powerful Word. And Isaiah says, so do you want to have that or not? Stop seeking the nonsense. Stop seeking the foolishness. Stop seeking the worldliness. And come and have life. I want to end with one other thing. We'd be remiss not to recognize. Isaiah said, come to the waters, everyone who thirsts. You want to know what Jesus did one day? Jesus with Isaiah 55 in full force stands up on the last day of the feast. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. He is the place to find it. He is where we go. He is where the transformation begins. But notice out of our hearts flow living waters. This is what Isaiah is talking about. Radically transformed lives given to the glory of God. People receiving life who should have received death. People who are receiving compassion and pardon rather than receiving the due judgment for their sins. Turn to Jesus for satisfaction and forsake your ways.
and forsake your thoughts. Pull your song books out. We'll sing invitation song. And we are giving this opportunity to, to respond to that invitation right now. To come to the waters. To come and find life. To come and eat good food. To delight in the riches of God. To turn away from the foolishness of the world and the sinful lies that Satan puts before us as if there is life and joy there. We all know there is not. Only God will give us life. Only God can give us all satisfying joy. Will you seek the Lord while he may be found? Will you turn away from your sins? Will you turn away from your paths? And turn away from your thoughts? And take in all that God has richly blessed to belong to the glorious covenant of Jesus Christ and to belong to his eternal kingdom and to receive mercy, compassion, abundant pardon and grace. Don't you come do that now while we stand and while we sing.